are all creators, online and offline, as we become a generation who has the resources, freedom, and support to forge new pathways and create differently. This podcast is dedicated to creators of all scales, sizes, and background, and the impact they make through what it is they create. Through solo chats, knowledge sharing, advice, and interviews, the era of creation will inspire and shift your perspective of what you can create with your life that has impact to those you share your world with. Welcome to the Era of Creation. Welcome to the Era of Creation podcast. If you're new here, this podcast is for the influencer industry. This is for brands. This is for talent. This is all about this concept of influence and content creation. Um, this episode is no exception. This episode's actually not mine, and I'm just going to put that on the record. This is a replay episode from a conversation I had with Christy Dosh at the Business of College Sports. We've actually talked a few times, but um, because this is so related to talent development and because so many people are seeking me out in regards to like what athletes should be doing to develop their brand, I wanted to make sure to give it a home on my podcast as well. Because this is a very specific episode, I just want to go a little bit into what NIL is. So NIL stands for Name, Image, and Likeness. Um, It's a very, very general thing, actually, Name, Image, and Likeness, because it actually refers to anybody. It refers to celebrities. It refers to athletes that are not at the college level. But it is also the name NIL that the NCAA actually adopted in the interim to describe the legislation where they basically reversed the previous ban on allowing college athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness. In more simplistic terms, basically, you guys, people listening, talent, content creators, there was no ban on your ability to monetize your own content. But if you were in college... You were playing a sport for a pretty well-known school. You couldn't. You couldn't be an influencer. You couldn't be a content creator. You couldn't do an endorsement deal. You couldn't do really anything because the NCAA prohibited that. That all changed recently. They kind of reversed the rule and basically said, have at it, be an influencer, profit off your name, image, and likeness. So now we're seeing a whole new world of possibilities open up. And that's what this episode is going to be about. This is episode was with, again, Christy of the Business of College Sports podcast, and we talk about the opportunities that NIL is going to open to athletes. So if you are an athlete, if you were an athlete, if you know an athlete, or someone who's really interested to know what this actually means for them and what opportunities will be open to them in the future, make sure you pass this podcast along. It was extremely valuable. Christy has so much more on her podcast about NIL. So her podcast, again, is The Business of College Sports. Look it up on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you could listen to a podcast. If you were here because you thought this would be creator-focused, I think there may be some value, but it's definitely more catered to the athlete and the opportunities that are going to be available for athletes going forward. So again, if you know an athlete, definitely pass this along. You can give it a listen. Um, But let's get into the episode and let's talk about the possibilities that are opening through NIL legislation. And I am back 
to talk more NIL. If you have followed me for long, you know that I love this topic. I am so interested in everything that is happening around name, image, and likeness legislation, and there's so much to dive into. And I've been spending a lot of my free time working with athletic departments, with athletic directors, talking to my friends in the industry, and trying to figure out how we can all best serve student athletes as we move into this era, because I think there are some really cool opportunities for them. And I'm not talking about just opportunities to make money, but opportunities to gain hard skills and to develop personal brands that they're going to be able to take with them after they graduate. And I think that is just so exciting to know that the industry is going to be reshaped in a way that allows student athletes opportunities, not only to make money, but also to really impact the rest of their career. So I have been working on some projects with a friend of mine, Stephanie Stabulis. You may remember she was on an episode with me, I think back in March, uh, where we started to talk about student athletes as social media influencers. Stephanie is a former award-winning top influencer marketing agency executive who's really passionate about bringing training and resources and education to influencers and brands. She has worked with amazing brands like ESPN, Oreo, Nickelodeon, Southwest Airlines, Macy's. She has done incredible things in this industry and understands what brands are really looking for, but also she understands how influencers can better position themselves for opportunities going forward. Like me, she played sports growing up and has a real interest in the field of athletics, particularly with college athletics. And so we started working together and putting together programming and education that we could bring to athletic departments. We're actually presenting to the Atlantic 10 today to some of their coaches and administrators. So we were already talking about all this stuff and we thought, what if we hit record and we just let you eavesdrop on our conversation so that you could hear the types of things we're thinking through, the types of conversations we're having with athletic departments and coaches so that those of you out there who are trying to figure out how you're going to handle NIL, how you're going to best support student athletes. I hope there's a lot that you can get out of this conversation we had today. So without further ado, I am going to let you eavesdrop on my conversation with my friend and business partner, Stephanie Stabulis. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome back to the Business of College Sports podcast. You are one of the only people that we've had back on for a second go around. And I have a feeling we are going to have uh, many more episodes ahead because you and I are working on a little business venture together around uh, helping student athletes and helping athletic departments with name, image, and likeness. And we've had so many good conversations, just the two of us that I wish we had recorded. Uh, so we talked a little bit before we hit record. This is really just going to be people eavesdropping on our conversation, right? <laughs> so thanks for joining the podcast again. I'm flattered to be like this. Uh, what's the word? Oh, I'm just flattered in general. <laughs> well, you. I'm excited because I feel like we make a good team because we are knowledgeable about sort of different pieces of this process. And so the, the two of us together can cover almost everything. And we've gotten to have a lot of conversations offline as we figure out how can we help athletic departments help their student athletes. And you've spent so much of your career on the social media marketing side. Tell people just a little bit about what you've done in your career and what your focus has been. It's really important to, to touch on like 
when I graduated, right? Because this is, we're talking about college athletes. Let's go back to my college years. So I graduated in 2011. And in 2011, 2010, that was like the first time brands were actually able, like Facebook opened up to the public and said, oh, if you're not a college student, you can have an account. It was one of the first years that Instagram launched in 2010. So Instagram was brand new here. Twitter was also pretty new. Um, YouTube was only a few years old. So I graduated into like the advent of businesses using social media for their business and nobody knew how to do it. And they thought it was a kid's job. I hated the fact that it was a kid's job because I felt like people were just looking at me and saying, oh, you're a kid, like here, here intern, figure out how to use Facebook and things mm-hmm. like that. And I wanted to be a publicist like you. So I was like, well, I want to do cool things like write press releases. I don't want to write social media content. And little did I know what a big world this would turn out to be. So I've been in it from the start and it is completely evolved. Um, You know, we started using influencers three or four years into it. Even the the concept of what an influencer is has evolved. And it's pretty important because we, we have negative connotations with influencers too. And when you talk about what you want to bring to student athlete and what they should strive to be when it comes to an influencer, it's not the stereotype. It's not the, I'm going to be um, the ocean spray guy, right? <laughs> like I'm going to be this guy because it's, it's not an attainable and sustainable career uh, path. Well, what they do want to strive to be is like these influencers who can move people. And that's really like the standard definition of what it means to be an influencer or what it means to influence in general. It's just having the power to be able to make recommendations and talk about your life and connect emotionally with people. And that's the core of what influencer marketing is all about and why it's so successful and why these student athletes have these opportunities ahead of them that I didn't have when I graduated as a student athlete uh, and into college. And you reminded me of something that came up. We were talking yesterday with some folks at the A10 conference. We're getting ready later today, and I'm actually going to post this podcast today. So normally I don't talk about what day it is, but I'm going to post this later today. And then we're going to be talking to the A10 conference, to their coaches and administrators uh, about what this kind of world looks like and how they can talk to their recruits and to their student athletes about the opportunities that are going to be available. And, you know, we've been using this term influencer so far in this podcast, but you said something really important, I thought, um, in the A10 meeting we had yesterday about how really there's three kind of different categories when we when we look at sort of the, this marketing space. And people think about like sponsorships and endorsements, but in this space, you've got influencers. And then I think the other two categories, correct me if I'm wrong, are ambassador and affiliate. Is that right? Right. Well, and I also like group the partnerships you could have with a brand specifically into these three categories Um, because they look wildly different. I mean, an ambassador is easy. And I think from college sports perspective, you're going to have a lot of this because an ambassador is the face of your brand. Mm -hmm. Um, What ambassador has evolved into is like getting the behind the scenes of somebody's life and, and storytelling and using that person, using that potential athlete to really talk about how their story fits into the brand. So they're doing a lot of these ongoing long-term ambassador programs, which is not the standard sponsorship. It's not the Michael Jordan and the Nike and the, you know, the sponsorships we're used to or the endorsements we're used to. It's very, very much stronger on the storytelling and the context because all of that comes to life through social media. And that's not something, if you look back in the 80s and 90s, like that's not something that marketing really did. They had 30 seconds in a commercial to talk about 
storytelling and context. Right. We have social media that happens every day now. So storytelling and context, like they need more from these athletes. So an ambassador is one of the things that we see um, a lot of, and I think a really big opportunity for student athletes. Affiliate is, um, you know, typically when you have a partnership with a brand who you're getting a cut of whatever it is that you produce. So it could be if you're producing clicks to a website and they're going to pay you per click. It could be something like sales. If you're going to sell a widget, just to give an example, Um, you're going to sell a product and you're going to receive a cut of what it is that you're able to sell from your influence. So we see a lot of affiliates as well, a lot of scam affiliates. So, you know, you know, be, be aware there. Um, and then there's traditional influencer marketing, which to me is more of the content creation aspect. And it could be long-term, it could be one time, but it's actually producing something for that brand that's of your personality, of your style, um, of your content, you know, style and, and aesthetic. Um, but you're partnering with that brand to create something and bring something to life, usually for a campaign. But like I said, it could also be ongoing. So the way that you partner with a brand has been even grouped into these three different categories. And um, that what an influencer is has evolved with that because, you, you know, you've heard me say storytelling a lot. If an influencer doesn't know how to tell a story, talk about their personality, like, and you saw that as a theme in all three, then what opportunities exist uh, for the athlete there? Yeah. And one thing you and I have talked a lot about in that storytelling aspect is that we see a lot of the sort of early focus as we talk to athletic departments and as you see different companies coming into this space and you sort of see where this is headed as we all prepare for it to become a reality next year. um, So much of the emphasis is around the student athlete as an athlete. It's about, you know, getting them images and video from games so that they can use that on their social media. And while, you know, I think, that's valuable to have access to that kind of material, you know, you really opened my eyes to how important it's going to be for student athletes to sort of develop their brand outside of just being an athlete. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think you you do such a better job of explaining that than I do. <laughs> well, I did say like the, the sports shots are important. And I think that's one place that the student athletes can't capture their own content in that sense, right? Like they can't capture their own high quality content when they're out there playing um, and doing that stuff. But it makes up like 25% of our objectives as as marketers and storytellers. I mean, that's only 25% of the story is the game. And something that I brought up that I think a lot of us can relate to if we're in sports is the um, partnership with NFL and Tide. And that was kind of bringing the point that, hey, like Tide went and stretched and said, hey, players wash their, have to wash their jerseys. And we're not talking about what's happening in the game. We're talking about what's happening around the game. And if you think about what happens around the game, there's so many more partnership opportunities that open up and so many more stronger stories that 75% of like well, the opportunities are going to be what's around the game. And it's going to be that what is the personality of that athlete off the field that's going to bring them in the opportunities that that they're looking for and opportunities they can capitalize on. Um, Do they go through a training regimen? If they do, like what do they eat? What snacks do they put in their pocket? Like what brands do they use for wash their clothes, which is the NFL example. What, 
do they do uh, at nighttime? Like what's their sleeping ritual? Do they have a certain alarm clock? What phone do they use? Like mm-hmm. all of those opportunities, all of that is completely relevant in storytelling. And if not more relevant than the game itself, because when we talk about what you do as a marketer is that you tell the context, the context is important for emotional relatability. So when we as marketers are trying to build campaigns and trying to build strategic partnerships, we're thinking about the stories and we're thinking about actually what's happening around and how it is we're going to emotionally relate and not everyone is going to emotionally relate to the actual game itself if you're not an athlete. And when you talk about really broad opportunities and broader, um, you know, expanding the universe and what you can get deals from, it's going to be super important to build the brand outside of the game. So like I said, that's like 25% is that inaction shot. 75% is what you're doing in around the game and what you're doing as a student athlete. I didn't ask you about this beforehand, so I'll warn people that I'm asking you something we didn't really prepare, but I feel like you can do. (laughs) Can you walk people through, because even I'm kind of curious about this because I haven't been on the same side of this as you have. When a brand decides that they're going to engage an influencer and they come to someone like you or one of the companies you've worked with before, what does it look like from your side of things in terms of how you find the right influencer and then how you actually start building a campaign? Like what are the sort of steps or, you know, what are the, what makes up a campaign? I think a lot of folks who are listening to this, who work in college athletic departments have so little knowledge of this side of things. And now they're going to be asked to be knowledgeable about it and to perhaps, you know, give advice or provide resources. So I thought it might be helpful to give people an idea of what it looks like from your side of things. Yeah, that's actually a really good question, but you're right. I can't handle it because this is like, you know, (laughs) methyl memory for me. Um, When a brand does come to me, the first thing I want to understand is one, their goal. Like, why are they partnering with this influencer? If they don't know, I'm usually able to tell them like, hey, these are all the things influencers can do. I think the ongoing um, stereotype or the ongoing kind of popular thing is to think that we want influencers to drive sales, but they could do so much more than that. And one of the most important things influencers do do is they give a face to your brand. They give a personality to your brand. They, they actually can say, Hey, look, this is what our consumer looks like. And when you're emotionally connecting with the brand as a consumer, the consumer can actually see themselves reflected in the influencers. And that what make, that's what really makes them consider the brand. So when we're talking about, you know, the the brand benefits, we're really first talking about marketing goals. We're talking about how do you personify and how do you humanize? Um, I then kind of go into, well, who is the brand? Who is your core customer? What are their values? What do they think about? Like, you know, who is using your product? Because when you choose an influencer, in this case, we're choosing a student athlete, you want to choose a person who reflects your brand. And that's incredibly Mm -hmm. important. Brand fit is one of the number one leading, um, you know, indicators of an effective campaign. So knowing the brand very, very carefully inside and out and who those consumers are, that's incredibly important to creating a campaign and then incredibly important in who it is that we select as an influencer. So if you're talking about the athletes and you're going in to talk about, do they need to have a personality? Like, 
what do they need to have on the outskirts and is the game important as important as what's happening around the game then you can kind of start to see why it's so important to to tell personality to have personality and to be personable on social media because we're really thinking about not just the game we're thinking about the personality we're thinking about the the reflection of the consumer within that athlete and we need more touch points like we need to know more about this athlete than what just what they do on the field right um so that becomes incredibly important well let me ask you when a brand comes to you do they already have people in mind have they done their own research or come across people who've maybe i don't know tagged them or talked about them on social media or are they looking to someone like you to help them identify who those right people are I'd say the majority don't know who they're working with. Um, There are some times where they'd say like they have in their mind this kind of person, usually the popular influencers, but usually they come and say, we don't have the money for this. So we like that. Um, So, you know, that's, that's something that we see a lot, but most of the time they need help identifying it. Um, Because there's so many different directions that you can go in because a lot of brands have, you know, you could do a gamer, um, you could do something in gaming around an energy drink. And I've seen this happen a lot, but you could also do something with fitness and health and energy and time management and college Mm -hmm. life with an energy drink too. And so it's really then also us deciding which niche are we going to go in? What's this campaign going to look like? What's relevant to what's happening right now? Um, And that could change who it is that we use as well. So sometimes it's uh, the bigger picture that I have to look at is, is like saying, Hey, you know, it's Christmas, you know, Christmas is coming up soon. Like, who do we want to do? Do we want to talk about gaming around Christmas? Or do we want to talk about lifestyle and really talk about, you know, gift giving and things like that? Like what's on people's mind? What are people going to resonate with that this time? So that could really change who it is that we use, which means that a brand may think they want to use XYZ person, but we may come in and say, hey, this makes more sense to use this person too. And there's a lot of strategy behind that. Yeah. And I want to point out for the administrators who are listening, especially those who maybe haven't spent a lot of time on Instagram (laughs) that, you know, while I think there will be opportunities that come through, you know, agencies like where you've worked before, uh, you know, bigger brands that are looking to do sizable campaigns, a lot of what's going to come to student athletes, I think will be probably a lot of what I've seen, which is just small brands, a small say clothing boutique who sends me a direct message on Instagram and says, hey, we would love to work with you. Um, And so I think there's this real range of opportunities and it might not always be that there is an agency behind it Um, because I'm assuming that if if a brand's working with an agency and you, you know, working with the agency, go out, you help them find the right influencers, you know, you're helping come up with what this campaign is ultimately going to look like and what assets you're going to need, how many posts it's going to be, that kind of thing. But if they're getting contacted directly, you know, in their direct messages, that's going to be a lot, uh, a lot more is going to be on the student athlete. They're going to have to come up with more of the ideas for what the visual images are going to look like for what the copy and the content is going to be. Um, and so, you know, I think they'll probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking student athletes will have a little more support if it's an agency who's identifying them and reaching out to them versus they just get something in their DMs with a smaller brand that wants to work with them. Yeah. So it, when I go to an influencer with something that I created, I know exactly what I want the content to look like. Cause I've thought that through. Mm-hmm. Um, but when a brand goes out the year, you're right. They usually don't know what they're looking for and what's 
what's scary is that you're working with two people with very conflicting interests. And I find it very difficult to have that conversation without a middleman because the influencer and the athlete are going to need to protect themselves first and foremost. And the brand is going to be pushing them to meet their objectives, which are usually very salesy, advertising, especially mm-hmm. the smaller brands. They really want to just focus on the results. Um, and sometimes it's hard to be, you know, stand up for yourself and know what to push back on and what not to push back on, what to allow, what not to allow. Um, it's really difficult to have that conversation. And that in itself is a huge skill um, to be able to push back on a brand and say, this is who I am. And this is what needs to be in my content, because this is what's going to resonate with my audience. That's a thing I think through as a strategist. But when there's no strategist involved or no th- third party involved, that's on the influencer athlete to come and say, you know, push back and say, I'm not doing this. I need to protect myself and I need to protect my brand um, first and foremost. Yeah. And I mean, when you're, you know, I started college at 17. So when you're 17, 18, 19, 20, like I'm in my late thirties now I've been to law school, you know, I've worked in a big corporate law firm. I've worked at ESPN. Like I've worked in places that have molded me into being someone who will fight for my own interests, who will stand up to people who I sometimes, you know, would view as a superior, not in an unprofessional or disrespectful way, but like I will stand my ground when I believe in something or when I'm protecting my brand. I wouldn't have done that at 17 or 18. (laughs) Um, And maybe some of them are more savvy because they've already been doing this in high school. Um, But I don't have you, because you haven't been able to work with student athletes. I don't know how much you've worked with people in that sort of younger demographic and how comfortable do you think they're going to be negotiating for terms or pushing back on content? They're not. And I'll, you know, I'll, we did a campaign with 16, 17, 18 year olds because um, one of the clients I have was, that Gen Z was their target. We were doing one of our first TikTok campaigns. Mm -hmm. So then you throw in the added layer of TikTok is so new and people don't know how to choose because these are not people who got famous on a traditional platform where there's a lot of talk and a lot of support for what happens on Instagram. TikTok was not the same. Um, So we, you know, we got very good rates and we got very great results and that's what's happening on TikTok right now. But it's kind of because the, Gen Z, the younger people are not pushing back. And me, I'm a good person, right? I'm not going to let that that person like get it. I'm not going to push them too much in a, something that's not going to protect them because I'm a good person. But that's a very difficult position to put even a strategist in, right? If you get somebody who doesn't have a good heart, if you get someone who doesn't want to protect the influencers as much as they want to protect the brand, you get a situation where brands are stepping over these younger kids because they don't push back because uh, they see a hundred dollars and say, wow, that can get me a lot because you're not used to making a lot. Whereas the older millennials or people who have been doing this for a while, see a hundred bucks and know, Hey, that's not worth my time. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, that going on. And I think that there needs to be that education and the minor things that they learn up front to say like, this is what you need to protect yourself from. This is what's going to happen. And these are the three things you need to watch out for. Um, I made a very big note for our panel leader that they need to understand contracts. There needs to be a written agreement because I've seen so many people get really, really, um, I don't want to say the wrong word, but screwed over, (laughs) screwed over because the a contract, there's no contract in place. So then you're in like this handshake agreement with a brand. And if you deliver them everything they asked for, then they turn around and don't pay you. Well, then what do you do? 
Um, if you have a written agreement, you have options available, but a lot of that has happened. Unfortunately, too much of that has happened where it's really difficult to have handshake agreements with brands anymore. Um, you need to look out for, we've talked about this before, things like usage. Um, how are they using your content? Like, do right. they know that stuff? So there's so many, the written agreement is one of the most important things that a brand is going to, uh, a brand and a student athlete are going to have to come to terms on. And they're going to need to know that they need that. And I think even as a 17, 18 year old, thinking back to my 17 18 year old thinking back to the campaigns we've done with that age group they wouldn't know unless we told them um so that's a little bit scary but also very big opportunity for us to push that toward them and say hey make sure you don't do anything without a written agreement in place yeah and I think that's where part of the sort of minefield is here is although what we've seen of the proposed NCAA legislation and much of the state legislation that's come out has been that student athletes will be able to hire you know advisors whether that's agents attorneys uh, you know financial advisors what have you which I think is great and sure somebody like a Trevor Lawrence at Clemson who uh, you know has a huge following and is probably going to have big you know household kind of name brands coming after him you know he's going to be working with agencies. He's going to have advisors. But what about your women's volleyball player who has 12,000 followers on Instagram and is known for you know her style and has these small boutiques or small clothing brands who are reaching out to her directly and you are talking 50 bucks a post or 100 bucks a post? You know That person is unlikely to feel like they can afford to go hire an advisor and the advisors aren't going to be going after that person. They're going to be going after your very top name athletes. And so I have been concerned all along as to, you know, how do we best educate and serve the student athletes outside of that kind of top, you know, 1% or whatever percent it ends up being that are getting the advisors involved because there's going to be so many smaller deals. And, you know, in law school, we always talk about issue spotting. And I always tell people one of the best things I learned in law school, you know, even though I don't practice law anymore, the thing I use every day is issue spotting and knowing enough to know when something doesn't feel right um, or knowing when to ask questions, when to push back. And certainly I didn't know how to do that when I was 17, 18, 19. Um, And even now there are instances where I could be better at it. But I think that um, the more that uh, administrators and people like us can talk to student athletes and tell them about scenarios we've seen, tell them about questions to ask, the more we can arm them. Then if they do get in a situation, they might be able to issue spot and think, okay, this doesn't feel right. I should go find somebody I can talk to about this, or I should hire somebody to help me through this. Um, But I think there's going to be so many more opportunities out there than athletic departments are realizing right now. They're thinking about their very top athletes have these enormous followings, but you and I have talked a lot about it. Um, All the opportunities that are going to be available for student athletes who maybe have a following for something else. Maybe it's makeup or I had an administrator reach out to me and they said that their student athlete that had the largest following was actually a student athlete who has a YouTube channel dedicated to smoothie recipes. And it would be easy to overlook, and I don't know what sport that that young woman plays, I can't remember, but it would be easy to overlook that maybe you've got, you know, someone on your women's soccer team who's got a thriving YouTube channel that has nothing to do with her as an athlete, um, but or has a, a an Etsy store, you know, where they want to sell their crafts. Like, I think it's going to be easy to overlook the people who aren't big names. And um, I want, you know, I, I personally just want to make sure those people don't get left behind and that they're armed with the knowledge they need 
so that they don't end up in some of these worst case scenarios that we've seen. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like more resources out there for those kind of people. Um, Cause what I've seen in the industry has been a lot of existing influencers turning around and teaching the younger generations, like how to be an influencer. And I think yeah. when you think of yourself as an influencer with an Etsy store, or you have a makeup channel and it has nothing to do with you as a student athlete. I think you kind of think of yourself more as an influencer. You're more likely to seek out that information. But, you know, where I, my concern is what about the athlete who doesn't know how special they are just by being an athlete um, and how important like they are to the ecosystem because we haven't been able to work with student athletes. And you and I have had this conversation before too, just kind of recalling all of the years I've spent working in sports supplements uh, has been really in my background. Health and wellness has been in my background a lot. Um, So just knowing that we've wanted to target 18 to 25 year olds, uh, how we couldn't do it for so long, because a lot of people in health and wellness are usually student athletes and we can't work with them. So there's so much opportunity for the athlete to build themselves up too. And one of the questions, again, later on in the panel, we're going to address is like, how many followers do you need to be an, be an influencer? Right. It's not a lot anymore. It used to be, you need 10,000, you need 15,000. Yeah, but that's not true anymore. It's getting as low as 2000. I have a girl that I'm actually working with that started and when COVID started, she's up to 2000 followers and she has a couple of thousand dollars worth of consistent brand deals per month. So it's not impossible to build such a small following and be influential and work with brands and create things together. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity, which means there's going to be a lot to learn uh, and a lot to teach to, to all kinds of different people. And we need to be able to fill the gaps too for these athletes who are going to realize that they're special just by being an athlete um, and that kind of thing stuff too, because their resources don't exist for them yet. They haven't yet. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, social media we've talked to, and I think we're going to um, talk to the A10 about uh, blogging, podcasting, that kind of stuff, which I think takes more time. And so I think the social media marketing is what you're going to see take off first um, because so many of these student athletes are already on social media. They already have followings. They're going to have people reaching out to them as soon as it is uh, permissible to do so. And so we talk a lot about that, but there's obviously other types of content creation opportunities. And we were talking before we started recording about how we've been sort of surprised at how slow university have been to add, um, you know, classes that teach you how to uh, use social media from more of a business, from more of a strategic perspective. And I shared that I'm on the advisory committee at a university uh, in one of their programs. And I've been really surprised that I've hired interns from the program and they've come into my PR agency that I own and they, they know nothing about content creation. And that's been such a big part, uh, both when I worked in uh, an agency as an employee and then now running my own, helping clients create content. Sometimes it's just giving them advice, but sometimes we are the ones actually creating the content. And, you know, you said earlier, you originally wanted to be a publicist and you want to be writing press releases. Well, so little of my business is writing press releases anymore. I mean, we rarely ever write press releases, but a lot of what we do is more content marketing and content creation and helping uh, clients land pieces with outlets where they can get in front of a bigger audience, but maybe they're not a great writer. And so we're ghostwriting for them or we're at least editing what they write. You know, we're helping them come up with a social media calendar leading up to their book launch. You know, so much of it is content creation. 
And some schools I think are doing a good job and have added more classes around social media marketing and around content creation. But a lot of schools I've seen are not. And student athletes are now going to have this opportunity to learn these skills while they're student athletes. And I was telling you earlier, I, for years and years, about close to a decade now, have gone into college athletic departments and done workshops on cover letters and resumes and interviewing. And the number one thing student athletes have said to me for the last 10 years is they come in to talk to me about their cover letter. And they're so worried that they don't have any skills that because they haven't been able to intern because they don't have time to intern as a student athlete, that they don't have much on their resume. They have no idea what to say in their cover letter. And we always have to educate them about the transferable skills that they have as a student athlete that employers value. A lot of employers want to hire former student athletes because they have great time management skills. They know how to work as part of a team. Um, And student athletes sometimes overlook those sort of intangible skills. But now we're going to have the opportunity to give them very tangible content creation skills. And um, that's something I'm really hoping to see athletic departments embrace is this opportunity to teach them content creation because you know, we both have worked in sort of different parts uh, of the of the marketplace in terms of me being more on the PR side and you being on more of the social media side. But what what we've had to do and what sort of unites us is that we've had to learn how to be content creators, both both personally and professionally. And unfortunately, I'm even older than you. So definitely nobody was teaching it when I was in school, but not when you were either. So I think it's a big opportunity for athletic departments that choose to embrace it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was going to like, just repeat what you said. It's like when you're on a team and you're an athlete, those are all the soft skills. And I always found, and this just could be my experience, right? Like I always found like I had so many soft skills. Like I was an athlete too. So I had those soft skills. I played club. I didn't play, you know, division, but I played on tournaments on the weekend. I still wanted to play sports in college. I had career services. Like I had so many soft skills on my resume, I had such a hard time finding a job. <laughs> I will tell you 100% like soft skills at that point in my life. And mind you, we were also in a recession when I graduated. So there's that. But soft skills were a hard sell. And I was kind of, I had some technical skills, but I had to really beef up what my technical skills were because when I was 16, I was coding web pages, right? I was an OG live journal blogger. Uh, That's (laughs) how far back I go. So I had some of those technical skills too, which kind of helped me land some of my first jobs. And I think without those technical skills, it becomes a very hard sell, but you're giving them the opportunity to do technical skills while they're also being a student athlete. Now you have already bolstered their resume like a hundred percent. Because I will tell you just from, I, you know, I lost my job in March and I went in my own entrepreneurial direction, but I was looking for a while at the amount, sheer amount of social media jobs available. And there are Every corporation has a social media person. I think it's one of the things small businesses are hiring first. Um, So it used to be, you know, you hired a team and a sales team and sales was really important. Social media marketing is is usually their first hire. It's even more than a marketing director. You're hiring someone to do your socials. Um, So the opportunities available for young people when they graduate in the social media world, having that experience are going to be tremendous. And I only see that growing because it's now getting to the point where, 
with brand social media is a necessity. Like when I graduated, social media was like this cool cutting edge thing and you had to be on the up and up to say, hey, do social media. Now it's like, who are you if you don't have social media? And so many brands are in that spot where now that's where all the jobs are. When you are working with a brand to identify influencers to work with, I mean, obviously you're looking at things like followers and reach and engagement and that kind of stuff, but what sort of baseline skills are you expecting that they already have that you're not going to have to handhold them through? So we put a lot of focus on content capture, and I would say the quality of content is is increasingly important. Um, It's actually one of the top things that brands look for when they're looking for an influencer is actually the quality of their content, because in most cases, these brands are repurposing the content on their feeds and their email newsletter, and it has to look good. Uh, generally. It used to be that user-generated content needed to look like user-generated content. Mm -hmm. And it still does need to have that look and feel of not being professionally shot, but more amateur shot, but it still has to be a par above what someone who doesn't know what they're doing or, you know, the 2011, I'm going to take a picture of my food on my plate, Instagram bloggers. Um, You know, it has to be a step above that. So content quality is super important. And, you know, having the ability to know angles, light. Um, I found light is one of the hardest things. Just me trying to teach social media managers uh, below me is like, hey, can you shoot this in better light? I can't even edit this in Lightroom uh, if you don't shoot it in good light. So knowing how like to have minimal photography skills, video skills, video editing, which a lot of Gen Z has because TikTok is hard. I will tell you, I'm as a millennial. It's time consuming. It's difficult. And props to these teenagers who know how to use it very well and create these stunning videos like it's not easy video editing stuff like that is is, is immense um and they're creating the like content when they do stuff for us they're creating content from start to finish we're not editing any of it they're doing it all on their own um so having those like back-end skills is one of the top things we look for um even before we look for followers even before we look for engagement rate which They used to be the central conversation used to be audience. Like what's the size of your audience? How many people can you reach? Um, Then people realize, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. Engagement rate matters. So then the conversation was all about engagement rate. And I have started being very vocal in saying, hey, engagement rate doesn't matter that much either because you really can't tell the difference between someone who's liking your content just because they like you and someone who likes content because they like the brand and they like the content. So engagement rate is becoming far more, like the actual statistics are not actually getting the traction they need. It's becoming more and more about the kind of content and the creativity behind the content and, and what that content does for the brand. And just to start, we could talk all day and we'll end up doing additional episodes for sure, because we're talking about these topics all the time. Um, but I, I know people's attention spans and ability to listen to a podcast. Uh, <laughs> we can't go on all day long, but just sort of in closing, what would be some of your advice to athletic departments about the kind of stuff they could be working on right now to prepare for this to come next year, to be able to support their student athletes as this is coming on? Uh, So something I've heard a lot of people talk about, which I just want to get on that train and amplify it, is protecting the student athletes and having guardrails and guidelines come from the athletic departments to know what they should and shouldn't be looking at. Um, Like even what Jill mentioned yesterday about shooting games, like you don't want to have your athlete involved in something that's going to be a little bit um, not the image you want to portray for your college. I think that that's understandable. And I think that's something that 
athletic departments and, you know, people in charge of it, the, the leaders of the athletic departments really need to think through what the guardrails and guidelines are. Um, so I'm just going to amplify that that's totally important. Um, and then number two, which is what we've just been talking about all day, is like what skills can we teach them and what skills should we focus on? Because we want to think about their futures too. We want to think about them beyond being a student athlete. So what skills can we be teaching and how can we get them these skills? How can we connect them with these opportunities or how can we connect them with the right people that are going to give them these opportunities? Um, and I know you and I kind of jumped on that because we knew that that they needed this, but um, connecting them to the right resources and getting them even from the school level involved in the classes that could complement them. I think they really need to get a sense of what they're actually doing to develop these student athletes in addition to being athletes and what their future looks like um, and what they could do and, and how they could do it. Yeah, I'm really encouraged by the number of athletic departments I've seen who are partnering with uh, their business school or some of them even have entrepreneurial sort of programs that they're partnering with, uh, you know, so that if their student athletes are in majors where they're not getting any of those classes, um, they're partnering with them to bring those opportunities into athletics so that student athletes can really hit the ground running when this becomes a reality next year. And I was really encouraged by that because just from my consulting work, I mean, a lot of what you find sometimes is a real divide between athletics and academics and sometimes even a rivalry uh, where professors on the academic side um, have a a lot to say about athletics and the money that's spent on athletics and the emphasis on athletics at the university. And so at some schools, there's a great relationship between athletics and academics, but at other schools, there is not. In fact, I was just reading an article this morning where professors at a school were having sort of a meltdown about athletics. Um, and so it's been really encouraging to see that a lot of what, what is out there right now um, is athletic departments who are partnering with their business schools where they've got programs to help with the more entrepreneurial side of things. And I think just what we kind of have seen missing at a lot of schools is more of the social media marketing, um, the content marketing with blogging and podcasting and that kind of stuff. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what emerges out of this. And it's a lot for athletic departments to tackle. I get it. I talked to a a uh, friend of mine who works at a mid-major a couple of weeks ago and was asking her, you know, what plans they had and, um, you know, who they were going to hire to help them and how, what it was going to look like. And she said, we can't even figure out internally who's going to handle this because normally when you're talking about student athlete development, uh, you've got the folks who are on the academic side of the athletic department who are, uh, you know, teaching professional development kind of skills, but this would fall more under marketing perhaps because it's the marketing staff who understand this better. And so she was saying in her athletic department, they can't even figure out like whose responsibility is this going to be. And then even when you figure that out, they're not staffed appropriately to be able to tackle this probably at the level that it needs to be tackled. And I asked her, I said, if the pandemic wasn't happening and athletic departments weren't, you know, slashing budgets and furloughing people, do you think athletic departments would have started hiring full-time team member, you know, full-time staff who were dedicated to just this? And she said, absolutely. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this evolves, particularly as we hopefully get out of the pandemic uh, next year and, uh, you know, maybe funding starts coming back, how athletic departments are going to sort of embrace this and integrate it into what they're doing already. But I'm at least encouraged by some of the partnerships I see happening with uh, business schools. And, um, you know, certainly you and I are looking forward to uh, working with some athletic departments going forward on the things that we can help with. And we just felt like we're talking about this kind of stuff all the time offline anyway, where 
emailing back and forth and on the phone. And um, so we will probably do a podcast together. I'm thinking at least once a month where we can kind of touch base on what we're hearing, what student athletes want more of, you know, where we're seeing issues pop up because this whole NIL discussion, a lot of it has been that no one knows, you know, exactly how it's all going to play out. There's going to be some unintended consequences. There's going to be things that we didn't plan for. Um, so as it, this kind of evolves and we get closer to it becoming a reality next year, um, hopefully you can hop up on and join us at least once a month and we can chat about the new things we've come across and any new and evolving advice we have for departments. I even feel like when we talk, I like always hear something on, I'm like, Oh my God, this is even more important than, <laughs> than I thought. Because like, as you're like wrapping that up, that last thing, I was like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about like at the root of this all is we're talking about monetizing off of name, image, and likeness. And the minute that you were talking about monetizing this, I was like, the minute that a, a student a 17-year-old, 18-year-old student athlete, whether they're a student or an athlete, the minute they're taking money from somebody, like at 17 years old, 18 years old, do you even know, hey, I have to report this on my taxes? Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking back to like me, like at 25, creating my first business and how difficult it was for me to realize like how when you're an entrepreneur, you do your taxes differently and all of that that I went through, they're now going through at 17 and who's going to yeah. tax them the minute you take some money from a brand that you're now automatically like your business or you have that stream of income needs to be reported. And all that really, really basic stuff is even more basic than the content stuff that we're talking about and the really like cool things that we we've discussed here. So yeah, the business school and just having those resources available for them at the very least for, for things like taxes, I think is going to come to the responsibility of the adults taking care of them to say, this is what you need to do. Cause I will tell you um, at 17, even at, I think I was 22 or 23 when I, I had to start doing this. My parents had no idea. Um, my, like they were long time. My mother was AT&T for 30 years. My dad was federal government and they had no idea how entrepreneurs do their taxes. Um, and it was just very confusing, very difficult for me to have to go through that and not even having the parental support that we could usually rely on. That has to come from a knowledgeable source, like the athletic department. Yeah. My stuff for my agency gets more and more complicated every year. I'm five and a half years in now. And I had to hire a like part-time CFO this year because I was making more money than I've ever made in the business before, but I wasn't actually able to take home more. And I couldn't figure out like, how do I keep growing and I'm making more money, but like by the time I pay my expenses and I have employees and that kind of thing, but you know, why am I not making any more money personally? And so I had to have a CFO come in and say, okay, you're overspending in this area. Um, you know, this is what you should be spending on marketing. This is what you should be spending on labor and, you know, really letting me know how I could maximize the revenue I had coming in. So um, I don't know that student athletes businesses will grow to that level while they're still in school, but I've been really encouraged by the athletic directors I've talked to who've told me that they want to make sure that when their student, if their student athletes want to start a business, that they can graduate and leave school with a fully formed LLC. And that like blows my mind because I didn't figure out how to form my LLC and how to run a business until I was in my thirties. And so the idea that they're going to get this opportunity and that entrepreneurship is going to be a path straight 
straight out of college, I actually think is really cool that um, everybody doesn't have to fit inside a box and find the same kind of nine to five job when they graduate. They're going to have some really cool skills and some really interesting opportunities to perhaps be entrepreneurs straight out of school if that's what they want, which I think is an exciting opportunity that I hope um, athletic departments embrace. But I know they're feeling a little overwhelmed at uh, how are they going to uh, manage all this and teach all of this. Um, So we are here to help. And I know lots of other good folks around the industry who are here to help on different aspects of it. I am not the person to come to for financial or tax advice. So (laughs) they're definitely better at that. Definitely but, not me, but it's so cool that like they get to do this on their own. Was, yeah. was, like the biggest thing. I never considered being an entrepreneur when I was that age. I knew I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to work in a big firm. I had no desire to ever have my own firm. And now I can't imagine not being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, it allows me to make my own schedule and live where I want to live. And it's such a better lifestyle than what I had previously working for somebody else. Um, but you know, no one ever talked to me about being an entrepreneur when I was in college. So I think this is a really cool shift. No. And they just started, like, I'd say when I graduated, because I was actually on a panel the year after I graduated with Rutgers, which is where I went. And they came back specifically to ask for me because I had gone into entrepreneurship by the I didn't do it on purpose. I'm an entrepreneur. So now you're going to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, okay, I thought I was just an intern, but now apparently now I'm an entrepreneur. Um, and it was cool, but they actually asked me to come back and talk about that as a path because they're just starting to realize it was like something legitimate people were doing and yeah. wanted to give them the resources to do that. And that's still not fully fledged. Um, people still don't understand what that is. And like I said, I came from a family who, who thought my boss was trying to get away with something he shouldn't have when he (laughs) was an entrepreneur. It's like, what is this nonsense um, that they're they're trying to do? Like, I don't get it. (laughs) Why is the LLC name something completely different than the company and like all this stuff? So there's just so much, so much to learn that's taken me so many years that these influencer athletes have to learn in such a small amount of time. Yeah. I think it's a cool opportunity though. I'm excited to see how it all unfolds and you and I will be back again, probably sometime in the next month to to chat about other aspects of this. Um, and if people are listening and they want to reach out to us and ask questions, or there's something you want us to cover in a future episode related to NIL, um, feel free to send me an email, Christy at christydosh.com or direct message me um, at sportsbizmiss. And we will try to tackle those questions or topics in future episodes. Stephanie, if people want to find you online, where's the best place to look for you? I would uh, socialcreatesimpact.com right now and at socialcreatesimpact on Instagram is where you can find me. And that has, I mean, I've been populating that like crazy with information um, for influencer talent specifically. Brands can find it valuable too. Um, But I mean, every day you can learn a little nugget is what I'm trying to do with that account. So I would definitely follow along if you want more information like this, because that's where I'm keeping it all. I will link that down in the show notes for people and uh, I'll get up a blog post too to go along with this episode. And like I said, if you guys have ideas for future episodes or you've got questions that your department's trying to tackle right now, send those to us and we will try to handle those in a blog post or a podcast coming up. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, Stephanie. This is always so fun to talk about with you. And we, I know we could go on all day, but uh, we've got to go get ready to talk to the A10. So we will come back and do another episode on this soon. Thank you, Stephanie. You're very welcome. Until next time, guys.